Once again, let's open our Bibles to Jude's letter, the last book before the last book of the Bible, the book of Jude or Jude's epistle. And one of the words that uh, you have heard me use in connection with our study of Jude and a word that keeps coming up is the word apostate or apostasy. And the reason that this word keeps coming up in Jude is because Jude wrote this church or these churches, his readers, to beware of apostates. That's the background of this letter. Now, as we've already noted, but I want to reiterate tonight, an apostate is not an ordinary unbeliever. He's someone who has been exposed to the gospel and at one time maybe even claimed to believe in Jesus Christ and biblical Christianity, but now he rejects those truths. He rejects those truths that he once claimed to embrace. Or an apostate could be someone who continues, even now, claiming to be a Christian, but they deny the message of the gospel. They're not true Christians, and they also distort biblical truth, key essential biblical doctrines such as liberal theologians do. And that's why the word apostasy is so appropriate, because apostasy literally means to fall away, to fall away. An apostate has fallen away or he has departed from biblical truth. We're not talking about minor issues. We're talking about essential gospel truth issues. But understand that apostates are dangerous individuals, and that's why Jude is warning these churches, these Christians about them. Because while they depart from biblical truth, they don't always depart from local churches. Often they infiltrate churches, claiming, as we said, to be true Christians, and they do immeasurable damage. How? By attacking and distorting the truths of Scripture. And in the process, they have an agenda. Their agenda is to try to sway people to follow them into error. Do you realize that the Apostle Paul, towards the end of his ministry, Acts chapter 20, well, it's not that uh, close to the end of his ministry, but in Acts chapter 20, he warned the Ephesian elders about those who would attack from within the church and come also from outside of the church. He said in Acts chapter 20, Starting in verse 29, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Paul said there'll be savage wolf-like people who will come in, leaders who will come into the church, and their intent is to destroy the church. And notice this. He says, and from among your own selves, and he's talking to the elders of the church at Ephesus, from amongst the elders of your church, he said, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. That was Paul's warning about apostates and about apostasy infiltrating the church at Ephesus, coming in from the outside, drawing disciples away from the gospel and some even from amongst the elders and leaders of that church would would rise up to draw disciples to follow them. Jesus called people like this wolves in sheep's clothing. He called them that in Matthew 7:15. And that is to say they appear on the outside to be genuine shepherds, 
But inwardly, they are, uh, they are savage wolves and they have savage intentions. That is to teach error and to harm God's people. And that was precisely the problem that Jude was addressing in his letter. I remind you that he tells us in verse 3 that true believers need to contend for the faith. In fact, that's why he wrote this letter. Notice verse 3. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write you about our common salvation, he wanted to write a book uh, about some aspect of salvation. I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith. This is the faith that was once and for all delivered or handed down to the saints. So believers need to fight for the faith. We do battle. We contend and we, we fight for the gospel truths which God has once and for all revealed to his church. Why? He tells us in verse 4, for or because certain persons have crept in unnoticed. That is, they've crept in to the church unnoticed, meaning alongside of genuine Christians. They, he said those who were long before marked out for this condemnation, meaning that God in his Old Testament word wrote about these people. They are ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God. So they make a profession of faith. They claim to believe in the grace of God, but they turn or twist the grace of God into licentiousness, a license to sin. And, and by doing this, he says, they deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. Now, these were the apostates Jude was concerned about. And this is the reason he's writing this church or these churches, because he's concerned about them. Then he moves on, as we saw last week. He explains in verses 5 through 7 that these men who have infiltrated the churches will surely be judged by God. It may look bad right now, but God will judge them. How do we know this? Because he judged apostates in the Old Testament, in Old Testament times. And Jude mentions three groups of ancient apostates who were judged by God. He mentions in verse 5 the Israelites who wandered for about 40 years in the desert and then they died. The death of that entire generation was a judgment against them because they did not believe God. And they rebelled against the authority of Moses and Aaron. He says in verse 5, Now I desire to remind you, though you know all things once and for all, that the Lord, after saving a people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe. He's simply saying that God dealt with the apostates meaning they knew the truth, but they abandoned the truth. He dealt with them by having them die off in the wilderness. Secondly, he mentions the angels who joined Lucifer in his rebellion against God and are now chained in judgment. Verse 6, And angels who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode, he has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great Day. These are fallen angels now known as demons. They rebelled against God. They said along with Lucifer, they, uh, who, who said, I will uh, challenge God's authority. I will be like the most high God. And they joined him. They are now in chains of judgment. God did deal with those apostates. Did they know the truth? Absolutely. Angels know the truth. And then third, he speaks in verse 7 of the men of Sodom and Gomorrah who indulged in gross immorality and are even now experiencing the judgment of eternal fire. 
Verse 7, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they in the same way as these indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishments of eternal fire. Now, we said last week that they are apostates because they had exposure to the truth. They would have known truth, perhaps even from Noah, who had died about 100 years earlier. Shem, one of his sons, would have still been alive. They certainly would have had a knowledge of the truth of God from general revelation, that is, creation. But they rejected it. And in rejecting God, they went into uh, homosexual behavior, and God severely judged them. Now, having told us about these apostates in the past, Jude now moves on to give us a description of the behavior of the apostates who had infiltrated the church in his day. He's already mentioned in broad general terms what these apostates were like. As we said in verse 4, he, he said they turned the grace of God into licentiousness, denied the Lord uh, and our master. But now he gets more specific, folks, and he gives some details about their conduct. And I want to read to you our passage tonight, verses 8 through 11. Yet he says, in the same way, these men also, by dreaming, defile the flesh and reject authority and revile angelic majesties. But Michael, the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these men revile the things which they do not understand, the things which they know by instinct, like unreasoning animals. By these things they are destroyed. I said verse 11, but actually it's up to verse 10 is the section. Now, in these verses, Jude lists three sins that the apostates of his day were committing. But I want you to know that Jude's description of the apostates of his era really wasn't limited to those particular individuals, as if this is irrelevant for any other era in time. You see, in principle, understand this, apostates of every era behave the same way, in principle. They are drawn into the same types of sins by their own wicked depravity. So, in principle, the sins, even of these Old Testament examples of apostates that Jude has mentioned in the previous verses, are really are similar to the sins of the apostates of Jude's day, as well as the apostates of our day. And so these verses are very relevant for us because they tell us not simply the sins of an apostate, but they tell us how to spot an apostate. How to know if someone is an apostate. In other words, all apostates have, have these basic kinds of behavior patterns. Perhaps not identical to the particular sins committed by the apostates of Jude's era. But as we said, in principle, they fall under the same broad categories. There is a pattern. So if you want to spot an apostate, you can identify him or her by these marks. But before we look at the specific marks of an apostate, I want you to notice something very important, how Jude begins verse 8. He says, yet in the same way, these men also by dreaming. Let's stop here for a moment and explain that. He tells us that like the apostates of Old Testament times, the unbelieving Israelites, the rebellious angels, the immoral sodomites, these men also dream. Now, what does he mean by the expression also by dreaming? Jude depicts these men 
as dreamers, but not in the sense of a dream like somebody is sleeping, like you and I may have a, a dream at, at night. That's, that's not what he's talking about. He's saying that these men live in a dream world of unreality. I don't think he literally means that they are dreaming these things up in the sense, as I said, they go to bed at night and they have these dreams. In other words, these men live in a world of improper thinking, a dream world of unreality fueled by their own delusions and desires. These are their dreams. These are their ambitions. I like the way one Bible teacher defined their dreams. Wearsby said this, having turned away from God's truth, they feed their minds on false doctrine that inflates their egos and encourages their rebellion. I think that's exactly right. They, they turn away from the truth of God. They feed their minds on error, which fuels them to behave in a certain way. And so Jude tells us how these confused, foolish people, confused state of mind individuals, how their dreams then propel their evil behavior. And what is the specific evil sins that they are involved in? Well, Jude mentions three of them. And he gives us, in doing so, three marks of an apostate. This is how you spot an apostate, because all apostates, in principle, have these marks. Number one, the first mark of an apostate is that they are immoral. He says in verse 8, Yet in the same way these men also, by dreaming, defile the flesh. That is to say, they pollute their bodies by immorality. They are immoral in the use of their physical bodies. In other words, apostates are guilty of committing sins of a sexual nature. It's not saying that every person who commits a sin of a sexual nature is an apostate, but apostates are generally characterized by immorality. Now, Jude, understand, is not saying that the apostates in his day were guilty of the same kinds of sexual misbehavior as the men of Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them. He's not necessarily saying that these men were homosexual in their behavior, although that's possible. He's not telling us their sexual orientation. He's just saying that they were immoral. They were guilty of some form of immoral behavior which was outside of God's will, his will confining sexual intimacy between a husband and a wife. Now, it's important that every one of us understand that false teachers, apostates, are prone to deviant sexual behavior. Male false teachers tend to prey sexually upon those women who follow them in their teaching. This is why cults are notorious for having their messianic type leaders sexually exploit the women who join their cults. They're notorious for that. And that makes perfect sense because back in verse 4, Jude told us that these men distort the grace of God, turning it into a license to sin. And in doing so, they deny Christ's lordship over them. See, once you remove any accountability to the Lord Jesus Christ, whose word commands us to live morally, then the human heart gravitates to do what it wants to do. And what men want to do is be immoral. That's why Jesus said in Mark chapter 7 and verse 21 that out of the heart proceeds fornications, adulteries, and sensuality. It comes from the heart. And when these men remove, remove any accountability to Christ, they do whatever their hearts dictate. 
Now, I'd like you to notice how often Peter, in his second epistle, mentions the sensuality of false teachers. He, he does it far more than Jude. May not have even been the same group that they're referring to, although Jude and Second Peter are very similar. But notice something very interesting. In chapter 2, verse 2, Peter, in speaking about the false teachers that he was writing about, and I think that Second Peter was written before Jude, Notice, he says, many will follow their sensuality. Now, this is interesting. Many will follow their sensuality. Here, Peter states that many people are attracted to the sensuality of and and the teaching of false teachers, the doctrines espoused by these false teachers. That is to say, one reason that false teachers are so popular, and that's what he's talking about, many will follow. They're so popular because not only are they immoral in their behavior, but they attract a host of people who desire to live immorally too. And their teaching gives them that freedom. Their teaching says, do whatever you want. In God's grace, we can, we can do what we want. And, and that's why you look at liberal churches who now are espousing homosexuality, and are saying uh, you can do whatever you want. You're free to live with anyone you want to live with. You can have sex before marriage. You can have sex outside of marriage, all that. Why is that coming to mainline denominations? Because this is what people want to hear, and this is where they're leading them, because apostates are immoral. You see, the sensuality that false teachers promote appeals to the human heart with its perverted lusts under the guise of a religion that offers them freedom, freedom to do whatever they want to do. They attract people. They attract people who want to live for physical pleasure. And Peter says that many will follow their sensuality. They are popular. They are attractive. They are appealing. Peter, I might add, reinforces the immorality of these false teachers throughout this letter. Notice chapter 2, verse 14. He says, having eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin. They always have that in their thinking and in their minds. Verses 18 and 19. For speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality, those who barely escape from the ones who live in error. Yeah, people who are very vulnerable, escaping from one system only to fall into another system that engulfs them by sensuality. Verse 19, promising, this is the new system, promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. And then notice chapter 3, verse 3. Know this first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lust. Their lust drive them to mock. Their, their mocking is rooted in their lust, meaning that, that they mock certain truths because they are driven by lust. What they believe is in accord with their lust. They do have an agenda. So one of the first ways to spot an apostate is that he is marked by an immoral lifestyle. Now, as I said before, this doesn't mean that every immoral individual who claims to know Christ is an apostate. There are even some genuine believers who continue to have problems in the area of morality. But what Jude is saying is that in general, apostates are characterized by immoral behavior. These are lost men. Understand that these are lost men, lost women. So they don't have the Holy Spirit living inside of them. Therefore, they have no way to restrain and control their lustful desires. Nor, I might add, do they want to. 
They're not struggling in this area. They don't want to. They live any way they want to live. But Jude moves on to give us a second mark of an apostate. Not only do they defile the flesh because they are immoral, but Jude also says they reject divine authority. Verse 8, he goes on to say, in the same way these men also by dreaming defile the flesh and reject authority. Now, what Jude means by this is that apostates are marked, note this, not simply by rejecting authority over them, but they actually despise it. They have contempt for authority. See, the Greek word that's translated reject here means to do away with something that is recognized as valid. They just throw it off. These men have done away with authority because they have contempt and disdain for it. So the question we need to ask is this. What authority is Jude referring to? They reject this authority, but what is the authority he's referring to? Well, some Bible teachers have interpreted the authority that these apostates hate as uh, human government, church leaders. That was a popular view during the Reformation. Others have believed these authorities to be angels. But the specific Greek word that Jude uses for authority is related to the Greek word for Lord. In fact, it has the same exact root, which would seem to indicate that Jude is telling us that these people reject the authority of the Lord himself. And that is consistent with what we read in verse 4, that these men deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. So it would seem to me that Jude is simply saying here that apostates completely reject the authority of Jesus Christ, the Lord, over their lives. No matter what they say they believe about him, they reject his authority. So how do you spot an apostate? Well, one way is to see they have a deep-rooted resentment towards Jesus Christ and his word. They hate him, and they hate his word. They can't stand the thought of God's word telling them how to live. They simply will not submit to it. Peter says, by the way, the same thing about the false teachers he was addressing in 2 Peter 2.10. They despise, he said, authority. Now, this rejection of divine authority doesn't always evidence itself simply by denying the Bible. They certainly do that. But sometimes apostates twist the scriptures to fit their own evil lifestyles. They don't just deny the inspiration of scripture. They say this is what the Bible is really teaching. And it's a twisting, a distorting of scripture to fit the way they want to live. Or they water down the clear teachings of the Bible to make it say what they're comfortable with. So it suits their behavior. But one thing they always do, an apostate always does this, is he denies the biblical reality of a coming judgment for their sin of disobedience to God's word. They always reject the doctrine of hell, always reject the second coming of Christ as a means by which he will judge the world. This is one reason that they, as I said, they hate such doctrines as hell or the return of Christ. And at times they will even mock its truths because they want to destroy the credibility of these particular truths. If, if an apostate can try to convince himself that he won't have to, to give an account to God for the way he lived, then he'll feel better about his wicked lifestyle. 
In fact, that that is the the thought behind the mockers in Peter's day, or Peter said they were coming. If you look back at Second Peter again, Second Peter chapter three. And I mentioned this before. Let me read it again. Know this, first of all, that in the last days, Peter said, mockers will come with their mocking. They were beginning to come. He said they'll, they'll come even more. And I think in Jude's day they came following after their own lusts. And here's what they were saying in verse four. He says, saying, where is the promise of his coming? That's what these these mockers said. Where where's the promise of his coming? He hasn't come. Forever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. What they're saying is, look, Jesus said he was coming back, but he hasn't come. It's been a lot of years. He hasn't come. And so they scoffed at the return of Christ. And they scoffed at his return because they didn't want to believe that, that he would come back and they would have to answer to him for how they, they lived. So they scoffed. They mocked. They didn't want to believe that Jesus was coming back to judge people for their behavior. And so notice verse three says that they followed after their own lust. They made fun of the thought of a coming judgment. Why? Because of their own lusts, because they had an agenda. They want to live the way they want to live and they don't want to think that they are accountable to Christ. And if you can do away with the second coming of Christ, then there is no accountability to him. Then eat, drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. And so an apostate always rejects Christ's lordship over him. But there's something else we need to understand about their contempt for divine authority. When an individual rejects Christ's authority over his life, it's never isolated. He will also reject other divinely ordained institutions of authorities as well, such as the government, church leaders, parents, teachers, Employers, you can't isolate a rejection of divine authority without realizing that that people like this reject all kinds of authorities that God has ordained over their lives. See, the, the issue is a rebellious heart. He wants to rule his own life and an apostate has only one authority in his life and that's himself. He lives by his rules. He does it his way. And so thus far, Jude has revealed Two marks of an apostate. They are immoral. They defile the flesh. Secondly, they reject divine authority. And the third mark that Jude gives us of of an apostate, and this is very, very interesting, is they blaspheme angels. The end of verse 8 says, and revile angelic majesties. Now, what does Jude mean by these words? Well, the Greek word that is translated angelic majesties is doxis, from which we get our English word doxology. A doxology is a, is a praise to God. The word literally means glories, glories. To give a doxology, as we said, is to give praise to glo- and glory to God. But here the word, interestingly enough, is plural. So it appears that Jude is referring to these glorious beings called Angels. Now, he's not talking about God. He's talking about angels. He tells us that apostates revile, which means to blaspheme or to speak evil of or to insult someone. That's what apostates do. They insult angels. Now, there are two questions in connection to this that we have to to ask and answer. Number one, does Jude mean evil angels, fallen angels or good angels? Well, the fact that Jude refers to these angels 
with a word that is, is as positive as glories, and that is a positive word, probably indicates that he's thinking about good angels. But then we need to ask ourselves a second question. Why did these apostates speak evil and insult good angels? Why would they do this? And frankly, Jude doesn't tell us. Nobody really knows for sure. But let me read to you a little quote from Michael Green in his very excellent, small but excellent commentary on Jude. I think he gives us as good an explanation for this insulting of angels as you'll probably find. He writes, why then did they slander God's good angels? Perhaps the undue deference paid to angels in some sections of Judaism produced this revulsion among among the headstrong errorists who became disenchanted with the whole notion of angels and regarded such enlightened Christians as themselves as emancipated from such primitive thinking. In other words, he's saying that because Judaism of that day exalted angels, these men thinking they're better than others, they're enlightened, they went the opposite direction and insulted them. But it's the second thing that Michael Green has to say that I, I think is closest to the issue here. Michael Green goes on to suggest, as do, by the way, a number of very competent Bible teachers, that perhaps the most probable reason that apostates despised and blasphemed the angels in that day is that angels are messengers of God. That's what an angel is. And according to a number of statements in the Bible, Acts 7 speaks of this, Galatians 3, Hebrews 2, 2, angels were especially active as his messengers in giving the law to Israel. Did you know that? says that angels were present and, and they played some role in God giving the law to Moses who gave it to Israel. Now, what role they played, we don't know. But they played some role in it. You can look this up yourself. Acts 7.53, Stephen says it. Galatians 3.19, Paul says it. The writer to the Hebrews says it in Hebrews 2.2. 2. And so, therefore, it would seem that since these apostates hate the law of God, remember, they, they reject God's authority, and God's authority is certainly revealed in his law, which says this is the way you should live morally. Therefore, since apostates hate the law of God, they insult those who had something important to do with God's law. That seems to be the closest that we can, we can find in, in why they would be despising and insulting angels. Beyond that, no one knows because Jude really didn't, didn't tell us. Peter also says something about this. In 2 Peter 2.10, he speaks of this very similarly. He says, and especially those who, um, he says, they despise authority. And then he says, daring self-will, they do not tremble when they revile angelic majesties. They are so disrespectful. There, he seems to be talking about such a, a disrespect. They don't even tremble in the presence of angelic majesties when they insult them. It would appear that, that these apostates were so arrogant in their attitude against authority that they didn't even have reverence towards those who are glorious angels. Now, I think you can see something of this attitude of disrespect towards angelic beings by some in the charismatic movement who tend to speak of, of Satan and evil angels in very derogatory terms, there are some who are ordering them around, mocking 
demons, ordering them here and there and binding Satan, binding Satan and then claiming that any illness or any problem someone has is always a demon of something. I think that's that's maybe similar to what was going on here, even though Satan and fallen angels are the epitome of evil. No one, no one should ever show disrespect towards these creatures because they are far more intelligent and far more powerful than we are. Remember the man in the book of Acts who was impressed with how Paul was casting out demons and he tried to do that. And the demon said, we know Paul and we know Jesus, but we don't know who you are. And they attacked him. Maybe that's something of what was happening in in Jude's day. There was a disrespect towards these creatures, not realizing how powerful they are, how glorious they are, how far more intelligent they are than we are. And Jude actually goes on in his letter to give an example of an incident in which the most powerful, godly, good angel wouldn't speak evil against Satan. Notice verse 9. It says, but Michael, the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Now, if you're wondering where in the Bible this incident is found, you don't have to wonder. It isn't in the Bible other than here. It's not in the Old Testament. It comes from a non-biblical book called The Assumption of Moses. We don't have that book today. We can only read about it from the early church fathers who told us a little bit about this book. The Assumption of Moses is not an inspired book. That is to say, God did not inspire the penman of of that book. However, this particular story that's found in this book about Michael, the archangel, disputing with Satan over the body of Moses, was true and was accurate, and the Spirit of God led Jude to incorporate it into his letter as inspired truth. So the book, The Assumption of Moses, is not an inspired book. This particular story found in that book is true and accurate, and thus Jude, led by the Spirit of God, picked it up, used it in his letter. Now it is inspired. It is truth. So what is the story about? And What does it have to do with apostates? Well, we know from the Bible that Michael is the highest in rank of all the angels. And according to Deuteronomy 34, when Moses died, God buried him and no one knew, no Jewish person, no Israelite knew where he buried him. But according to this story that Jude is telling us about, Satan knew and Satan wanted the body of Moses and Michael, we're told, disputed. God sent Michael to dispute with Satan over Moses body and would not let him have it. Now, I know you're probably wondering why in the world would Satan want the body of Moses? Well, once again, no one knows. We don't know why. But one very good guess, I think, is perhaps Satan wanted to use the body of Moses to make it a shrine to be worshipped in order to pull the Jewish people into idolatry, which they were very prone to be pulled into. But regardless of why Satan wanted the body of Moses, the point that Jude is making, 
And the only point he's making here is that during this dispute, Michael refused to speak against Satan by passing a verdict of judgment against him. He simply said, the Lord rebuke you. In other words, Michael, although he was the highest of all angels, would not rebuke the devil or pass judgment upon him in his own authority. He spoke of the Lord's authority. The Lord rebuke you. The Lord deal with you. The Lord condemn you, not me. Now, Jude's purpose in telling this story is to convey the truth that if the mightiest of all the angels, the good angels, refuse to rebuke the devil, then how arrogant are apostates in rebuking and insulting good angels? If the highest of all good angels wouldn't insult the wickedest of angels, Lucifer, Satan, then how arrogant are the apostates in rebuking and insulting good angels? And that's very revealing about apostates. They are incredibly arrogant and they speak out against angels when, frankly, they don't know what they're talking about. They don't know what they're talking about. And that's why Jude closes this section by talking about their ignorance. They are ignorant. Verse 10. But these men revile the things which they do not understand. And the things which they know by instinct, like unreasoning animals, by these things they're destroyed. Jude tells us that apostates, in attacking angels, they they do this, but they have no understanding of who angels really are as God's holy messengers. They have no clue. They have no spiritual discernment. See, they lack the Spirit of God. They are, they are devoid of the Spirit. They have no spiritual discernment. And that's why, folks, you can argue with an apostate and argue and argue and argue and get nowhere because they cannot understand the things of the Spirit of God. They're dreamers. They, they fill their minds with error. In 1 Corinthians 2.14, Paul says, The natural man cannot understand the things of the Spirit of God. They may have all kinds of scholarly degrees, but they are clueless. They have no spiritual discernment. And they can't understand the things of the Spirit of God. However, Jude tells us there are some things that apostates do understand. He tells us that the things that they understand, they understand by instinct. You see that in verse 10? The things which they know, they know by instinct, like unreasoning animals. What does he mean by this? He means that the only things that apostates really understand, like unreasoning animals, are their physical appetites and lusts. That's what an animal lives for. Whatever he wants, his appetite, his lusts, his desires. And it's these very lusts and this moral corruption that will continue, Jude says, to damn them to a Christless eternity because they will continue to follow those things. An apostate does not repent. He will not repent. He has hardened his heart to the truth. Now, folks, Jude has given us quite a picture of an apostate. He lives in a world of his own dreams, which leads him to be immoral, reject divine authority and arrogantly blaspheme angels. If you know someone like this, beware of them. Don't listen to their teaching. Don't buy their books. Don't listen to them in any format. Don't follow their leadership and get out of a church where they might be pastoring. Come out from amongst them, Paul said, and be separate. Let's bow for prayer. Lord, we are grateful once again that we can study your word. It's a rather grim picture 
of these apostates. And yet we have to keep the the whole perspective of your word in mind. They will not get away with their evil. They think that they will, but judgment is coming for them. We pray that you'll help us, Lord, in a world, the world that we live that attacks the Bible, help us to contend for the faith. To do so in a way, Lord, that is gracious but strong, uncompromising. We pray, Lord, when in our own job situations, in our own unique family situations, the truth is attacked and we have opportunity to speak up. We pray that you'll help us to be mindful and strengthened by by your spirit to battle for the truth. Lord, we pray that you'll protect us as a church, protect our people from falling into the error of apostates, from falling under the leadership of men, women like this. We pray that you'll help us to be discerning. We pray that everything that, that they are, Lord, we pray we wouldn't be. We pray we would be moral in every way. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to come under your authority, to never uh, rebel against the divine authority of Scripture, And we pray, Lord, that you'll help us to have just absolute respect for angelic beings, to realize that uh, right now they are greater than us and we would uh, never in any way, even against uh, fallen angels, just start lashing out. Thank you for your word. It's so relevant, practical for us. We pray that you'll help us to live by the truth of your word, to take seriously the word of God, the doctrines of your book this week. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.